Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It is great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Wednesday, April 20th. Last week, we began our seven-week study in the book of Philippians, and we started out by looking at the way Paul affirmed the Philippians, and we discussed our own need for spiritual encouragement. This week, we're going to look at Paul's joyful spirit, even though he was in prison and possibly facing death. From this, hopefully we'll consider what real joy is. I'm really looking forward to diving into this more with you, but right now, as we always do, please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, thank you for the privilege we have to study your word today. Thanks for all that have come either to listen and or are in person or are watching the video today. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, bless their families, and Lord, may we be a blessing to you as we dig into your word today and learn. Teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Have you ever heard the words, you're grounded or you're restricted? When was the last time you heard somebody say those words to you? Or maybe you're the one that said them. With that in mind, here are some opening questions for us. Number one, when you were young, how often did you get grounded or put on restriction? What did you get grounded or restricted for the most? And looking back, was your punishment fair? Well, let me tell you my answer to that. I think I heard those words a lot growing up. I don't remember a whole lot of what I got in trouble with, but apparently I was in trouble a whole lot because I remember being grounded or restricted a lot. And the reason I heard those words, clearly I must have disobeyed my parents doing something that I wasn't supposed to do or going somewhere I wasn't supposed to go, or being with someone I shouldn't have been with. I don't know, but there's a lot of things that were going on, that's for sure. So as I look back on those times, though, the punishment or the restrictions or the combination thereof seemed fair. Now, at the time, I'm not so sure I would say that. But the fact of the matter is, as time has seasoned me, I look back on those times of punishment or restriction, and they seemed pretty fair. Number two, question. When you were a teen, which chains did you feel restricted by the most? Now, not literal chains, but which chains? What things did you feel restricted by the most? Maybe strict parents? How about a lack of money? Maybe negative attitudes towards young people? Maybe a dangerous neighborhood? How about your own shyness? Or was there something else that you felt restricted by the most? I definitely felt the chains of my own shyness through the growing up years, even into my 20s. Because I was so shy, my self-confidence was lacking so much, and it always felt like it was a heavy burden, like carrying around chains. But thank the Lord, because he is the chain breaker. Amen? Amen. The last of our opening questions today who do you remember trying to stir up trouble for you when you were in school? And how did they do this? And how did you react? You know, I can honestly say I really don't remember anybody trying to stir up trouble for me at any time when I was in school. That doesn't mean I was perfect or anything. I just don't remember it ever happening. The Apostle Paul was put on restriction, so to speak, by Rome for having preached the gospel. Rather than simply going on and on about how unfair it was, he used his chains to advance the gospel. He used the time in prison to write many of the letters that we now have in the Bible, and he used the opportunity as well to witness to the ones who guarded him. 
All of this he did in a spirit of joy, because he felt that if he had Christ, then he had everything that he needed. So let's read our text for today. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 12, going through 26. Philippians 1, 12 through 26. And let's see how Paul lives to honor Christ. Follow along as I read. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Jesus Christ because of what he is doing through me. Amen and amen to the reading of his word. Here are some study questions for us based on that passage. Question one, what is the closest you have come as an adult to feeling like you were imprisoned? Maybe you've been in a restrictive job environment and that feels like a prison. Maybe a bad marriage. Maybe feeling imprisoned by guilt or bitterness or being chained to your past. What is it? What's the closest you've come as an adult to feeling like you were imprisoned? The closest I've come to feeling like I was imprisoned is feeling imprisoned by guilt or bitterness and being chained in my past. For the longest time, those two things bound me tight and it felt like I couldn't move or breathe. They prevented me from being a good friend, a good husband, a good worker, and a good churchman. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, it changed the power of yesterday. It didn't make yesterday disappear, but it made the impact of yesterday no longer consequential, if that makes sense. Praise the Lord for that. Number two, read with me again verses 13 and 14. They say, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Here's the question based on those verses. In what ways did Paul's imprisonment seem to advance the gospel? 
you know, right off the bat, what jumps out to me in these verses is he had a, forgive the pun here, a captive audience. I mean, they were all imprisoned, right? He had a captive audience, whether visitors, other prisoners, or guards. Paul used every moment to let folks know he was in prison only because of belief in Christ and the teaching of the good news. Also, the guards were rotated every four hours, so Paul had a fresh audience in that regard. Also, the next time that guard would come back on duty, Paul could take up right where he left off. How great is that? Number three, look at verses 15 through 18. They read, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message of Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, Paul said. Now, in these verses, Paul noted varying reasons that people preached the good news. Let's look further at these verses and see what's happening. Question, in verse 15, it says, Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. What does Paul mean there? I believe Paul knew that some preached because they wanted to surpass Paul in ministry and to promote their own name and place above Paul's. These people were glad that Paul was imprisoned because they felt this gave them a competitive edge over him in what they considered to be a contest of preaching the gospel. They were motivated, at least in part, by a competitive spirit, which too often is common among preachers. Next question. In verse 17, it says, They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. What is Paul referring to here? He's saying that those preaching the gospel out of wrong motives are infected with selfish ambition, which makes them serve, but not sincerely. Ambition isn't necessarily bad. There is nothing wrong in wanting to be the best we can be for God. But selfish ambition is most concerned about a successful image instead of striving for true success before God. Next question. When Paul finishes verse 17, he's saying those selfish preachers were, here it is, intending to make my chains more painful to me. What's that all about? Those who preached Christ from the wrong motive were trying to add affliction to Paul's chains. Their competitive hearts didn't only want to win for themselves, they also wanted Paul to lose. They wanted Paul to admit the humiliation of having to admit that others were more effective in ministry than he was. They didn't understand that Paul honestly didn't care about this because he did not have a competitive spirit in ministry. And lastly, in verse 18, Paul says, but that doesn't matter. Well, why does he say it doesn't matter? Why bring it up anyway? Paul's attitude went like this. If you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God will deal with you, but at least the gospel is preached. But if you preach a false gospel, I don't care how good your motives are. You are dangerous and must stop preaching your false gospel and good motives don't excuse your false message. If Paul's imprisonment could not hinder the gospel, neither could the wrong motives of some. God's work was still getting done, and that was a cause to rejoice. Amen.
Look at verse 20. It reads, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. The question on verse 20 is, what is Paul's confident hope and expectation? In this verse, Paul speaks of his confident hope and expectation when he says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. The Greek term translated be ashamed can also be rendered disappointed. The main idea is that of being confounded, defeated, or reduced to a state of humiliation and ruin. But Paul is confident that in the ultimate sense, that will never happen to him. The apostle goes on to explain the positive aspect of his confident expectation. He says, my life will bring honor to Christ. Note that his hope is not that he will personally be honored, but rather that Christ should be honored instead and exalted in Paul's life. Amen. A great testimony, an example of encouragement for us. Question number five. Read verse 21 again. What did Paul mean by the phrase, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Or as the NIV reads, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does Paul mean by that? I believe that Paul knew that death was not a defeat to the Christian. It's merely a graduation to glory, a net gain for the Christian. Paul's death at the time would be a gain in two senses. First, his death for the cause of Christ would glorify Jesus, and that was gain. And second, to be in the immediate presence of the Lord was gain for Paul. Christ would be magnified as much in Paul's death as he had been in Paul's life. Question six. Consider verses 22 to 25. Take a minute and just read over those verses again. According to those verses, what dilemma does Paul presently face, number one, and what decision will he make, number two? Consider the Apostle Paul's present circumstances. He's in prison at Rome, awaiting the day of his trial, and he's soon going to stand before Caesar, and a decision will be made as to whether he'll be released or executed. Now consider the Apostle's desire. He said, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Next, consider the Apostle Paul's dilemma. Execution means departure out of this world into the immediate presence of Christ, which is far better than life in this world. But release from prison means continued fruitful labor for Christ, verse 22, and a ministry to the church that is so needed, verse 24. Being confident that a continued ministry will be necessary and beneficial to the church, the apostle is sure that Christ's will for him is to accept his release from prison and carry on his ministry, and Paul is willing to accept Christ's will for his life. Next question, number seven. How was Paul able to speak in rejoicing? Look at verse 18b and verse 25. Paul was able to speak of rejoicing, verse 18b, and of joy, verse 25, when in jail and in danger of losing his life. How is Paul able to speak of that? And in light of today's study, how would you define what joy is? Regarding rejoicing and joy, those two words, Paul would continue to rejoice in prison even if good results came from preachers with bad motives because he was confident in his deliverance. I also think Paul wrote these words thinking that if he was released, the believer's joy would know no bounds and their faith would be strengthened. In light of this study, 
biblical joy is knowing Jesus and rejoicing in him. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. Without biblical joy, we'd be left to rely on circumstances in life to make us happy and bring us joy. That would work out great during family vacations and when things are going our way, but what happens when life gets hard? We need a joy that can hold on no matter what's going on in our lives, a joy that's always accessible to us. That joy is not found anywhere else than in the relationship with Jesus. It's intentional, folks. With Jesus, we know that we will be in heaven with him for eternity. And even while we're still on the earth, we have the Holy Spirit to help us and bring us joy when we need it. Amen? Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of our study questions today. I hope it's been a great journey for you so far. Let me recap what we've talked about. We've looked at the tough things Paul was going through and how he saw them as serving to advance the gospel. We were also reminded how our true joy is found in Christ and not in our own circumstances. I have an action step for you, something I'd hope you would consider doing in this next week before we meet again next Wednesday. In the coming week, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to use your circumstance to proclaim Christ to the world, whatever that circumstance might be. Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can use your circumstance to proclaim Christ to the world. Will you do that? Awesome. Next time, we're going to study Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll begin Philippians 2 up to verse 4, that whole section there. And we'll look at what Paul said about how the worthy living of the Philippians would similarly advance the gospel. Going to be a great next study. Thanks for taking time to join me today. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.